Hello, folks. We are down the line from Boston tonight with political author, analyst, and historian Dr. James D. Boys. I'm Michael L. Roberts, and this is the return of the American Chronicle. It's Monday, the 23rd of March, 2020, and here we are in the opening throes of a transitioning global response to the coronavirus. With thanks to you all for your feedback after James's appearance on the Voice in the World podcast last week, it's a great privilege to restore the American Chronicle format here and bring it back to the digital waves of air after all too long an absence. For tonight's show... James and I compared UK and US responses to the crisis, discussing in the process that which President Trump's team is doing to continue operations uninterrupted, and the ever-relevant historical context in which the US President's actions can be judged. I began tonight's interview then by asking James what the feeling on the ground was in Boston. We've seen a whole number of states now issuing a series of clampdowns by their state governors. Uh, Massachusetts uh, issued one this morning, effectively saying that as of tomorrow, uh, that's Tuesday, uh, all uh, non-essential businesses need to shut down uh, and that uh, effectively there's going to be an all-effective curfew in place uh, except for going out exercise and to uh, get necessary items. So you really are seeing the the shutting down effectively of American uh, civil society in many respects, so that uh, uh, this virus, I think, uh, should hopefully, uh, in the view of the the government at least, uh, manage to basically uh, quarantine itself over the next two weeks. Uh, We've already seen Donald Trump uh, calling uh, uh, for uh, for markets and and, uh, supplies to be reopened within 15 days. It's quite remarkable he's made that statement just as uh, states across the nation are starting to really uh, tighten the grip effectively and and shut down. So I think you are seeing uh, something of a contradiction between the federal government and the individual state governments across the country. Uh, On that point, here we've we've got the sense that uh, certainly we're all uh, closing down, as it were, for 12 weeks, if not much longer. Uh, and it's uh, interesting to see clips of Donald Trump holding up uh, a piece of paper that says 15 days as a, as a potential fix. How much of a contradiction is that state-by-state response and language to the uh, federal-level Trump response? Well, I think there is a disconnect between the federal government and the individual state administrations. Um, and, and this isn't trying to play a political game here. You are seeing uh, pretty uh, consistent views coming from both Republican and Democratic governors across the nation, uh, realizing the importance to try and quarantine this and to clamp down on it as soon as possible. If I'm honest, um, we've been expecting this here in Boston, I'd say, for the, about the last week. Um, I think the administration here has been hesitant to try to uh, impose uh, such seemingly draconian measures, quite frankly. But uh, when you see that um, it has been rolled out across um, some seven or eight states already, uh, quite frankly, uh, I, I'm of the opinion that it's going to be 
a, a device which is increasingly utilized by governors across the nation, uh, which again will put it at a disconnect from the White House, which appears to be sending out quite a different message. Uh, and again, uh, I think it's important to distinguish between some of the individuals working at the White House um, at the cabinet level and uh, at an advisory level who seem to clearly understand the importance of this, and perhaps the president who, uh, for whatever reason, perhaps viewing his own political fortunes uh, diminishing, uh, is clearly trying to put a better spin on this. It's important to remember, of course, that Donald Trump has been touting the success and the strength of the American economy from, let's remember, the very morning he was elected uh, and how that has uh, has risen uh, like a rocket ever since. So to see all those gains wiped out uh, in the space of the last week or two uh, must be... Um, must be uh, terrifying, quite frankly, for Donald Trump when he uh, looks ahead to the election uh, this November. You mentioned the individuals around Donald Trump there in the White House and otherwise. Obviously, the uh, the numbers, the figures of this disease are changing all the time, so it's hard to state anything categorically. Uh, but certainly the last I read, I was aware that the United States was the uh, third worst severely hit by this disease. Uh, in the UK, the, the daily briefings here, uh, potentially signalled by Boris Johnson, might be becoming uh, something delivered in a more remote fashion. What measures are the White House team taking uh, around Trump to avoid contracting the virus? And uh, to what extent might they be moving towards more virtual uh, remote briefings? To be honest, it's... Um it's a little difficult to tell. Um, if you if you look at the the physical um, dimensions of the White House, it is a very small uh, building. Uh, the West Wing complex within which uh, numbers of these people are either working or meeting is uh, is remarkably small, uh, certainly by British standards. Um, for those people who don't know, the White House press briefing room that the president has taken to using in recent days. Uh, used to be the White House swimming pool. Uh, it is not a large area at all. And quite frankly, if you were devising a modern press uh, advisory area, um, starting from scratch, you simply wouldn't use that space because it is simply not up to scratch for the, the current era. So you're cramming some very, very important people with important decisions to make into a very uh, tight space. And when you when you realize that these people have met and come into contact with people who've subsequently uh, developed the virus, um, it seems remarkable, frankly, that there has not been a greater attempt to to separate these people, uh, just at a, at a very base level. Uh, the president and the vice president uh, are routinely together, and you would have thought that just from a sort of a a continuity of government point of view, that they would have been kept apart from one another. Let's not forget also that the Vice President Mike Pence is, at least in theory, in charge of the coronavirus task force. And uh, the last thing you imagine he would want to do would be to get sick. Uh, he and his wife have taken the tests and have come up negative. The President has taken the tests and apparently come up negative. But we're starting to see members of Congress, uh, senators come down with the virus um, and we know that they have had contact with one another uh, and uh, with key advisors at the White House. So just in terms of the, uh, the simple logistics of this, it seems clear uh, that uh, the, the virus will at some point penetrate the White House. We're hearing reports that Secret Service agents uh, have come down with the virus. Um, you know, it, it really seems to be that 
at the senior levels this administration, from the president down, there is perhaps a lack of seriousness being uh, adopted with regard to the potential to transmit this simply from person to person due to physical proximity and contact. Depending on the extent to which uh, the UK audience here has its eye on US politics, uh, they might have heard rumours of uh, designated survivors being allocated and indeed President Trump being removed from office during this time. From a stateside position, James, could you speak to those uh, notions, please? There are actually discussions uh, across Twitter and in the media about invoking the 25th uh, Amendment, which, of course, would remove the president from, uh, uh, from office uh, if he could get a majority of the, the cabinet and the vice president to agree. I think this is a, uh, a remarkable uh, development, quite frankly, and one which uh, is perhaps unfounded, whatever one thinks of the president, um, to start talking about removing him from office at this point. Um, would perhaps, I think, seem uh, uh, unlikely and, and problematic. Um, we have seen uh, calamitous times on the markets. Uh, the question about whether the president is leading adequately uh, is clearly a political one. Um, I think that uh, when you consider what has transpired over the course of the last uh, weeks here in the United States, um, it has, I think, revealed what many people suspected, which is, in times of crisis, Donald Trump has been seen to be wanting. Over the last three and a half years, many people have, I think, felt it was thankful uh, that the United States had not faced a crisis under Donald Trump for fear of what might um, have been revealed. And I think over the course of the last three or four weeks here in the United States, uh, those fears uh, by many, I think, have been, uh, have been revealed. Uh, and it will be interesting to see, I think, how... That plays out into polling, which is going to take place, no doubt, over the coming weeks and months leading into the election in, in November. I should point out, however, that if you look at the map of where this virus is impacting the United States, um, at least at the moment, and I, I should point out that we're speaking here on, uh, where are we, the 23rd of March, um, which I only timestamp because this is obviously a very fluid situation. If you look at a map of the United States about where this virus has impacted, uh, <laughs> it should be said it looks very much like it's focused upon in many states uh, that, that favor uh, the Democratic Party. And uh, you can almost imagine why if you're a Trump supporter in the, mid, in the Midwest, uh, across great swathes of, uh, uh, of the country, between the Appalachians and the Rockies, you might well be looking at this and thinking, what virus? Uh, there is, uh, in some cases, very little uh, evidence of it. Uh, it does seem to be focused uh, upon those core areas uh, in California, here in the, the, the northeastern seaboard in New York. Uh, so it will be interesting to see how Donald Trump's own supporters view this and indeed whether there is a hemorrhaging of support for him and his handling of this or whether as is so often the case, uh, this is just another one of those issues which would bring down any other president, but which seemingly is unable to taint Donald Trump. In terms of the urban focus of the virus, therefore, would it be true to say that the heartland is not presently uh, in as much economic need of a bailout as those uh, major and, as you say, uh, potentially largely democratic voting cities? Well, it's going to be interesting to see, actually, because, you know, as we were discussing, the the virus seems to be focused upon the, 
the large urban areas um, here on the northeastern seaboard, um, uh, what's often called the cellar corridor between New York, Washington, and, and Boston, uh, on the, uh, the, uh, the left coast, if you will, um, in Los Angeles, California, San Francisco. Um, the government is talking about distributing um, money directly to American citizens, all American citizens, up to a certain economic level. Um, which is fascinating considering that there are going to be, at this point at least, seemingly um, great swathes of the nation which appear to be un untouched, uh, at least directly, uh, by the coronavirus. Of course, uh, we should consider that what you're having is uh, national decisions made by organizations to effectively close down. So you're seeing uh, the closing of, of, of cafeterias, of, uh, of, uh, of restaurants, for example. So you are seeing a, a knock-on effect uh, that whilst the coronavirus uh, does not necessarily appear to be affecting all parts of the nation directly, you are certainly seeing a knock-on indirect impact of this, which is certainly affecting uh, uh, businesses and livelihoods. And the great fear, of course, uh, just as with the Great Depression, is that whilst um, most Americans don't own stock, for example, uh, the collapse in the American stock market and the ensuing uh, impact that that will have upon businesses, business closures, business confidence, and upon um, 401k pension funds uh, could end up having a, a, a hugely detrimental impact upon the American uh, economy, the American society. And it's interesting to see the Fed today announcing that they're taking great steps in an attempt to um, prevent another great depression, effectively, uh, by buying up um, stocks and bonds, etc., etc., in an attempt to prop up the markets. I'd like to uh, address the stimulus package that's uh, been going through the motions this last weekend. Uh, we've had very sort of limited news of it here, if you're not following uh, American news channels and otherwise. Uh, in the UK, there's very much a sense, in terms of the language at least, that uh, whilst the 2008 bailout was focused on big business and banks, the 2020 bailout, uh, as far as the UK is concerned, will be focused on the quote-unquote people. Uh, the headline of the impression of the uh, stimulus package put forward in the United States this weekend uh, appears to give the sense that it was very much a 2008-style big business banks bailout. Uh, your thoughts therein, please. Yeah, it's interesting considering, um, you know, this, I think that what you're seeing in terms of the, the difference between how the Conservative administration in London is approaching this and that which has been adopted by the White House and extension, the Republicans in Congress, is another example of the differences between the approach. As you rightly point out, um, I think that what Downing Street has done is to learn from 2008 and the, the visceral reaction against that, the feeling that back then it was the banks that were bailed out on all too many occasions and that it was up to the banks to then pass on those benefits to the, uh, the British people. And a very similar approach was taken here in the United States. It was believed that whilst Wall Street was bailed out, Main Street was left wanting. And I think that what you're seeing is that conflict play out uh, in real time in Congress. The, the bailout package, which has been dis debated over the weekend, which failed to pass uh, due to a lack of uh, democratic support, was seen, I think, to be following that pattern of offering too much aid to, to the banking sector 
and not enough uh, support and, and uh, assistance to, to average citizens. The Republican hopes to do that were actually hindered, bizarrely enough, by the fact that members of the Republican Senate have actually had to quarantine themselves so they couldn't be there in the chamber to vote full stop, which immediately lowered the number of Republicans in the chamber required to have passed that legislation anyway. So we've got a real challenge at the moment. Um, at this point, there's a logjam. There's going to be more debates and a potential vote later on today. Um, and it's possible that they, they might get some movement on that. But to do so, uh, the Republican leadership is really going to have to acquiesce to, to Democratic demands that this is a far more uh, broad, broad-reaching um, financial package, because quite frankly, they are nowhere near uh, the numbers required to get this through uh, the United States Senate at this point. Thank you, James. Uh, my final question to you tonight. Uh, last week, when you featured on the Voicing the World podcast, uh, we discussed the importance of putting all of this uh, frequently into historical context. Um, as far as Trump's presidential effort here is concerned, he was uh, quick to celebrate his effort on the Friday just gone, where he spoke to 12,000 CEOs and uh, pledged trillions of dollars to help this situation. I wonder what your, uh, in historical context, what your analysis is of uh, week one of Trump's uh, fireside briefings uh, in the first crisis of his presidency that wasn't, in the first instance at least, self-made. You know, it's funny. Um, if you look back through the history of the American presidency, those presidents who have emerged um, and been remembered are often those who are in office during a crisis and who rise to the occasion. Um, one can think in recent years, or at least uh, the more modern era, of JFK during the Cuban Missile Crisis, for example. You could think of uh, Franklin Roosevelt during the, uh, the Great Depression. There are others, of course. Um, and it's notable that uh, some presidents who were not necessarily thought of uh, in the same league as FDR or Kennedy or Lincoln uh, have, to some extent, risen to the occasion. And uh, whilst he's not university beloved, I think it's recognised that uh, George W. Bush, I think, took... Um, was able to, to uh, rise to the occasion following 9-11, especially when he went to New York and, and grabbed the bullhorn and made that speech on the back of an upturned uh, fire truck, which seemed to galvanize the nation at that point. Um, here we are now with Donald Trump, and uh, for three and a half years, people have been questioning his ability to rise to the moment in a crisis. And I think that he seemed to have done universally badly during this time period. He has not made great use of what Theodore Roosevelt called the bully pulpit for someone who has prided himself on his communication skills uh, and his ability to connect with the American people. I think we've seen a very poor ability to do that, quite frankly. He has not used the mechanism of the White House to his great advantage. Uh, he is uh, he has great uh, tools available at his disposal, the ability to address the nation from the Oval Office, uh, which he decided to use last week, was seen to have been a, a calamitous event, quite frankly, as he seemed to stumble uh, and be unable to read from a, from a from his own script. Uh, the uh, speech was seen to have been cobbled together at the last minute without any great uh, 
ability to uh, to weave together important ideas or concepts. Uh, we've seen his briefings from the press briefing room. Again, not an ideal setting for a president. Uh, this is a small room, a cramped room. Uh, it's been stripped back to let even less members of the uh, Fourth Estate in to try to mitigate the, the impact of this virus. Uh, usually when a president speaks at times of national emergency in a larger setting, you would imagine that the East Room would have been used, quite frankly, a much grander setting for presidential addresses. Um, it just seems that every time the president opens his mouth at the moment, you're seeing a, a drop in, in the stock market and a decline in support and enthusiasm for what it is he has to say. I think that he is surrounded by people um, who are trying to give him the best advice possible. Um, scholars, academics, medical professions. But he, he seems to be unable to get his head around the seriousness of this and it's trying to di diminish it. Now, I recognize that Part of the American president's job is to try to um, offer enthusiasm and encouragement and put a, a, a good um, face upon this and to talk up the nation. But I think there is a sense, quite frankly, that the president either doesn't get or is underplaying the severity of this uh, crisis. Um, and when you've seen presidents in the past uh, rise to the occasion, they have done so They've done so with the use of, of, of rhetoric uh, and oratory, uh, which has been remembered down the ages. Um, one can remember, one can rec uh, note Franklin Roosevelt's first inaugural when he famously declared that all we have to fear is fear itself. Uh, John F. Kennedy speaking in his inaugural and in his uh, address to the nation during the Cuban Missile Crisis, offering calming words, uh, decisive words. Quite frankly, at this point, it's difficult to, to think of anything that Donald Trump has said of a positive nature that will be re long remembered at this point. Um, and it's fascinating to think that even when he is presented with softball questions by members of the, the media, uh, which would allow him to come back and to try to calm the nerves of the American people when asked about why Americans might be scared or what he has to say to Americans who might be scared. He instead chooses this as an opportunity to attack the media. Um, and one wonders about who is advising him and what his natural inclination is and why he feels the need to go on the attack so often uh, when this really is a tremendous, I'm sorry to say, opportunity for President Trump to be presidential and to distinguish himself from his obvious Democratic opponent in uh, in November, Joe Biden. Um, he gets to speak from the White House every day. He has the opportunity to, um, to, to drive policy and to be seen to be leading the nation. And quite frankly, what you're seeing is an effective abdication of that. You know, he has said categorically that he refuses to accept responsibility for this. And whilst nobody is blaming Donald Trump necessarily for the virus in and of itself, very clearly what he is doing is not assuming the responsibility uh, of the chief executive officer of the nation and appears to be very willing to sort of pass this down to governors uh, and to blame the Chinese for this, um, quite frankly, anybody. Um, and I think it's going to be very telling what happens in the coming 
days and weeks and months, the longer this drags out, history would reveal that the longer this goes on, the more politically damaging this will be for President Trump as people start to raise serious questions about whether more could have been done earlier. To paraphrase from the White, the Watergate investigation, what did the president know and when did he know it? That could very easily be turned into, you know, at what point did the president know about this virus and when could he have done more about it? Uh, very clearly, I think that you're starting to see a state-by-state state recognition that there needs to be um, a two-week clampdown upon the movement of people. We've seen the national borders effectively sealed uh, in large part, but not completely. We're starting to see the clampdown on movements of, within the largest states here in the country. Um, we are still to see that uh, absolute directive come from the White House. And I think uh, one will have to draw conclusions as to why that is. Uh, but I think you're seeing great hesitancy uh, on the part of the president uh, to instigate a national lockdown uh, for fears of a political pushback and blowback uh, come the election of November. Until next Monday then, this has been the American Chronicle with music by Chris Warner. I'm Michael L. Roberts. Follow Dr. James D. Boyes on the links below. Be sure to tune in on Thursday to the Voice in the World show. And good luck and ever onward to you all.